You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this, this is one of my favorite, favorite uh, times of the year, always has been. Uh, just to re- reflect on, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know, him going to the cross, that was important. We needed that. But the resurrection, that, there's so many implications to the resurrection, and, and, and I don't know if I fully grasped it, even myself. Uh, I know the disciples, they were wrestling with it that day. We're going to look today at John's account of the resurrection, starting in John chapter 20. It says this, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, John's being tongue-in-cheek here. He's referring to himself. He's going to refer to himself in third person a couple of different times. Um, And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, John, And they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first, and stooping and looking in, when he saw the linen wrappings lying there, he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up, in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not yet understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stood and looked into the tomb And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that, she had, and that he had said these things to her. So this is John's firsthand account of the resurrection. Now it's, it's worth noting uh, a, a couple things here. While Peter and John wrestled over the resurrection, Jesus was already moving on to the ascension. A couple different times, he says, I have not ascended to the Father. And then he says, I go to be ascended to the Father. And, and I don't blame Peter, John, or Mary for not understanding this. Like, who raises themselves from the dead? It's only happened once in history that, 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 I, that I know of, right? Like this is amazing stuff. The fact that he raised Lazarus from the dead just, just a week or so before this, after four days, that's amazing all by itself. But, but Mary's like, all right, where's the body? <laughs> like she's task-oriented. She's like, I'm here to take care of Jesus. He, he took care of me. In his life, I'll take care of him in his death. And yet Jesus was focused on the, resur- on the ascension. And it makes me question, what about resurrection do I still not quite get? What about resurrection doesn't quite fit my tight little box of knowledge that I've created for myself, the rules of life that I have? What about resurrection? Do I go, oh yeah, that. Because the resurrection of Lazarus should have told the disciples a lot about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think Jesus had an object lesson for the disciples through the resurrection of Lazarus. And there's some things that we should glean from that story that help us to connect and understand the story, the resurrection of Christ himself. And so I want to take a look at that story. And if we were to read the, the whole passage, it's, it's a lot to read. It's more than what we just read. So instead, what I want to do is I want to tell you the story in, in four scenes. And just, just from a 50,000-foot view level, just so you have a, the landscape in case you've never heard the story. And then we're going to dive into four specific components of that story. So let's look at the four scenes. Number one, Jesus was with his disciples when he received word that Lazarus was dead. Mary and Martha, brothers and sisters of Lazarus, they sent word to their friend. Now, this is a different Mary, by the way, than Mary of John chapter 20. And Jesus and the disciples were more than a day's distance away. So it's going to take some time to get there. But we're told that, that Jesus said this, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And we're also told that though Jesus loved this family, he chose to wait to go to them. So that's scene one. Scene two, 
uh, Jesus comes to Bethany and he meets with Martha. And when he gets there, Martha runs up to him and she says, if you would have been here, my brother would be alive. And this starts a conversation about resurrection that we'll dive into here in a little bit. But uh, in this scene, after the scene, at the end of the scene, Martha goes to her brother or to her sister, Mary, and sends her to Jesus. And so that's scene three. When Mary came to Jesus, she said, if you would have been here, my brother would have been alive. Sounds something like her sister said. I bet they talked about this. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the crowd weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and he wept. Scene three. The fourth scene is at the tomb. Jesus says, take me to Lazarus. And he says, remove the stone. And at that, Martha's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. (laughs) By now, Lord, there's going to be a stench, right? And uh, Jesus doesn't really respond to that, but he yells to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. So that's scene four. That's our, that's our story in four scenes. And I want, I want to look at today four things that we learn about resurrection. This thing is fighting me. It's the 10% rule. You have to be 10, 10% smarter than the device to operate it. And I'm not there. <laughs> we'll press on. All right. Uh, four things we learned about resurrection. Four things that the disciples should have learned about resurrection just a week or so before his own death, burial, and resurrection. So number one, resurrection is available to everyone. All that we know about Lazarus we find in... in uh, just a couple of verses in John chapter 11. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then verse 3, So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. We don't know a lot about this man, Lazarus. Uh, if the Lord came and resurrected one of us from the dead, it, it'd be about the same. Like, like Lazarus had his friends. There were people there to weep for him after he died. Hopefully, hopefully all of us have that, that people would be concerned, that people would care that we left this world. But on the grand scheme of things, on the grand stage of life, if I die and buried and then resurrected, not that many people are going to take notice, right? You or I could be Lazarus. Now, Bethany is a town that's uh, just outside of Jerusalem. It's over the hill, kind of like over Mount Sentinel. If there was a town on the other side of Mount Sentinel, maybe just around the corner, uh, like East Missoula from Missoula, a couple miles away. And it was a poor town. and, And there's indication that this was a leper colony. In fact, it's likely that Lazarus himself is a leper, and that is why he is there, 
and that is why he has died. They succumb to that. And so we need to understand that resurrection is not for the, the elite. Resurrection isn't even just for the gods. I mean, think about the, uh, the Roman gods and the, and the narrative and, and how, how the pantheon, how they dealt with uh, themselves and, and the human beings. And, and the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead before he raised himself because we're talking about a week's difference here, right? You could have raised Lazarus at any point, but the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead before his own resurrection, and it's four days for Lazarus, three days for Jesus, I mean, Jesus is flexing here a little bit of how cool he is and how much he cares about us as people. Resurrection is available to everyone. The second thing that we should learn from this story is that resurrection is on Jesus' time, and it's really on the Father's time. I believe that Jesus was doing what he did at the will of the Father, and that Jesus always showed what it it meant to be on on the Father's timetable, not his own. And, And we'll talk about that more here in the third item. But twice we're told that when Jesus showed up, he was in the grave four days. We're also told that he stayed when he could have gone to Lazarus. He stayed. How many times have you prayed and God has answered, but on a timetable that was not yours? That happens all the time. More often than I would like. Things that I think are really good prayers. Things that I think uh, are really significant, that God really needs to show up in this person's life or, or show up in my circumstances or show up with my son or my daughter or, or reveal truth. Whatever the case is, God's timeline is rarely my timeline. And while I do believe that Jesus is resurrection, and wherever he is, and if he's in your life, you have resurrection available to you, God is still God, and he gets to decide when that happens. Always going to be true. It's on his time. As my old pastor used to say, uh, sometimes we think God is like a slot machine, and we get to walk up to him and pull the lever and you know, drop a couple coins and pull a lever and, and, and get our prize. And, and that's not how prayer works. Like, like Sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and, and the result comes. But typically not on our timeline. Uh, number three, the third thing that the disciples should have learned from Lazarus' resurrection, and I think we should learn from his resurrection, is that Jesus connects with your pain. Jesus connects with your pain. In John eleven thirty three, 33, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Now, the Greek words that, uh, that John records here, I think are harder to translate than, the, there's more depth to these words that 
are here in the English than we give it credit for. So let's look at these two Greek words. First one's really hard to pronounce. Embry maomai. To be moved to anger, to admonish sternly. You could say like, I snorted. I snort. Like picture a bull that you've irritated and you know it's irritated because it's snorting and it's, you can see it's physically agitated. The, the bowl is about ready to charge. This is the word that John captures to express the emotion that he sees in Jesus, who was about to resurrect Lazarus. I mean, why not just get to the point, right? Other than the fact that Again, I think Jesus was doing the will of the Father, and the Father hadn't said, and now's the time. Have you ever had so much emotion bottled up inside you that it just spilled out all of a sudden? Like your whole body is just shaking, whether it's shaking with anger or, or uh, shaking with fear or, or frustration or shaking with sadness, and you just... You know, like stuff's flowing, tears are flowing, snot's flowing, like all of it's coming out all at once. I think Jesus in this moment just had an automatic, like he had a response that he couldn't even control. And, and in this story, there's, uh, there's a number of things that, are, that were told a couple of different times. Um, like uh, he was in the in ground four days. That's mentioned two different times. There's some other things that are mentioned two different times. But the fact that Jesus loved Lazarus and loved his family was actually mentioned three times. And this third time, it was mentioned by the crowd. The people that didn't even know Jesus, they could visibly see how much he cared for Lazarus, how much he cared for this family. See, I think we picture God as this stoic God up there just kind of managing life. Distant, unemotional, unaffected by what's going on in our world. And I think that's the wrong picture. I think Jesus cares a lot about what you feel. He cares a lot about what has happened in your life. He cares a lot about if there was abuse, if there was neglect. He cares about the pain. He cares about the shame. He cares about the sorrow. He cares about all the things that sometimes we even want to hide from him because it's too embarrassing to talk about. He cares about those things. We were made in his image and we are emotional beings, which tells me that he's also an emotional being. And I believe that Jesus connects with your pain. The fourth thing that we should learn from the resurrection of Lazarus is resurrection is for now. And I don't always think about it that way. I think I would answer just like Martha in the story. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, her theology was right on. She was 100% correct that there is a resurrection that will take place on the last day, that Christ will return, and there will be a resurrection on that day. But Jesus says, you're missing something. Your theology is correct, but it's incomplete. Your statement is correct, but it's incomplete. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. This is one of the great I am statements that John, that John captures. He captures seven of them. This is the, the, the pinnacle. This is the preeminent I am statement given. I am the resurrection and the life. Wherever Jesus is, if he's in your life, if, if you've invited him into your world, you have resurrection available to you. I am the resurrection life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And her response is this, Yes, Lord, I have believed you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who came into the world. See, Peter says this, We are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our it's not that our eternity will be changed. That is true. Our lives will be changed. Our lives will be changed. Do we live that way, though? Do we live as if the circumstances in our lives that, that have plagued us for a long time, certain sins, certain propensities, within ourselves or, or, or within, our, within our family or within our friends? Do we expect resurrection to change even our friends who know Christ? Do we expect that or do we expect their old habits to be here until Christ returns? Do we expect that it will stay static unchanged? Do we have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Now, when I think about resurrection, um, I think about my mom. There's, there's no one that I've seen that experienced more resurrection in her life than my mom. Uh, in 2009, she contracted H1N1, which was a swine flu, uh, pretty similar to uh, the coronavirus. Uh, some similar experiences, uh, just not on the scale. She was uh, hospitalized and then uh, intubated. And in order to intubate her so they could breathe for her, uh, they had to put her into a drug-induced coma. And she was in that drug-induced coma for about a week. And when they went to bring her out of the coma, she wasn't waking up. She wasn't responding. They did a, a, an MRI 
and they the imaging revealed there was a large mass what they assumed was a large mass on her brain and they assumed that it was a fast acting cancer just taking over my aunt who was a nurse she called me she said rob it's time for you to come to the hospital and say goodbye to your mom uh, longest 45-minute drive of my life. When I got there, it was revealed to me that the doctors had told my family that if nothing changed within the next few hours, that we should expect that she would not ever leave the hospital. And uh, we had the elders from the church come and pray for my mom. And within an hour of them praying for my mom, she started to move. What we found out was what they thought was uh, fast-acting cancer was actually a storm of strokes, which wasn't actually a lot better news, honestly. My dad was pulled aside by the doctor, and he said that uh, your wife will never drive again. She'll never work again. She'll always be in a wheelchair. She'll never live a meaningful life. And my dad was told that over and over and over again over the next six months. They moved her from the hospital to an intensive uh, rehab facility. And, uh, and that was just, my dad was heartbroken. We were heartbroken. God changed all that. They were wrong. Uh, my mom would work again. She would drive again. Uh, she would live a meaningful life. God gave us my mom back. It took a long time. It took a, a year and a half. And uh, she had to relearn everything. She had to relearn how to do math. She was the bookkeeper for uh, our family business. She was my dad's partner in that business for 30 years. She had to relearn how to do that. She had to relearn how to drive. She had to relearn how to dress herself and, and, and speak and, and, and all those things. One of the things that she learned again was how to be bitter. Uh, there, there were just certain moments where I saw bitterness come out of my mom. And there were two things that would drive that. My mom was deathly afraid of being alone, uh, well, losing my dad, deathly afraid of losing my dad, and she was deathly afraid of being poor. Now, the reason why she was deathly afraid of being poor was because that was her experience as a kid. She lost her dad uh, in an airplane accident at the age of eight. Up to age of eight, she had lived a very affluent life on the South Hill of Spokane. Uh, my grandfather owned his own business. He, was a, he opened the first transmission shop in, in uh, Spokane. And uh, he had his own airplane. But the accident changed all that for their family. And it caused problems between my, my mom and I, uh, especially when I was working at the shop. Eventually, initially, she was really grateful that I was there to help the shop kind of resurrect the shop and, and set on a new path. It had really declined in the year and a half. My dad was focusing on my mom's health like he should have been. Uh, 
Uh, but so we had to rebuild the shop and, and we grew the shop from a $600,000 operation to a million dollar operation over three years. But my mom still had some areas where she needed resurrection. And in 20, uh, 2014, uh, we took a trip to Israel. It was my dad, my mom, my brother, and I. And uh, one day we're at the Mount of Olives, and we're at this garden, and the pastor that led this, the tour said, hey, I want you guys to go off. I want you guys to just get by yourself and, and with the Lord and have a conversation with him about what he'd have you to give up. What I didn't know was that I had my own bitterness to deal with. That uh, if there's anybody that, when it comes to bitterness, if there's anybody that I replicate really, really well, it's my mom. <laughs> I picked up all the skills. As I was walking through the park, the Lord says, I want you to give up your bitterness towards your son and towards your parents. And so I went to my son first. I asked him to forgive me. We prayed. And then we went to my parents and I asked them to forgive me. And we prayed. And the four of us wept. Probably not far from where Jesus wept on the night he was betrayed. My dad would pass away within three years. My mom would pass away within another 18 months of my dad. 15 months. But my mom was the sweetest person that you've ever met in her last years. God resurrected every area of her life because she kept pursuing it, sometimes at a significant cost. She pursued resurrection. And, and when I think about the challenges that we face as a family with my kids and, and, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm almost to the age, I'm within 10 years of the age that my mom was when, when uh, we were in Israel. And I'm looking at my kids, I'm seeing, seeing them wrestle with issues and, 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 and seeing that there's some things that still needs to be healed between me and them in our relationship. I'm extremely hopeful that our God is going to resurrect every area of our life. And I want to pass on resurrection to my kids and to their kids and to the next generation because I need it and they need it. We need resurrection. Christ's death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. John says in John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ going to the cross was necessary. We needed his death. We needed him to take away the penalty of our own sin. But Christ's resurrection confirms once for all that he is the Son of God. In Romans 1 it says, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And in Romans 8, Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, 
who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Christ offers you resurrection and life. And the question is, will you embrace it? Will you embrace your Savior? Will you say yes to him? Will you go and and trust his timeline? Will you go wherever he leads? Will you respond to the call? He stands at the tomb of your heart, calling you to resurrection. We're going to pass out communion, and I invite you just to wrestle with, what about resurrection have you ignored? What has God been calling you to? What has he been saying to your heart, and you're just like, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that could really happen. I don't know if that can happen for me. Take some time to wrestle through. What does resurrection mean for you today? And just know that if this is your first time with us, that we have an open table, which means if you're here to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we invite you to join us. And so you please feel free to take it. If you don't feel comfortable taking communion, that's okay. Uh, No pressure and no judgment. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.